Amen. Amen. Good morning. Good to be with you this morning. Good to see all of you this morning. And here we go. Strap in. Today we begin our series on the Holy Spirit. Thank you for your worship this morning. And we're going to be doing more of that a little bit later on. John's Gospel, chapter 1, is where we will begin our series this morning. The Gospel of John, chapter 1. Why do a series on the Holy Spirit? I think there's a couple of good reasons. One, the Holy Spirit is the least understood person of the Trinity. And yet he's the one, according to the word of God, that lives within all believers in Jesus Christ. So therefore, we actually have a closer connection to the Spirit, in a sense, than we even do the Father and the Son. And it's through the Spirit that we have that close connection to the Father and the Son. The second main reason we should do a series on the Holy Spirit and study the Holy Spirit and become aware of the Holy Spirit, to me is that we have to look no further than the exhibit or example of the disciples in the Bible and compare the disciples of the Gospels to the disciples in the book of Acts and throughout the rest of the New Testament. Because even though God was with them in the person of Jesus Christ during the Gospel ministry of Jesus, even though they saw Jesus with their physical eyes and they followed him and they ate with him and they ministered with him and they were taught by him and all of that, we know, if you know the account of the Gospels, that there were many times where the disciples just struggled and they failed so and they, they lacked faith and, and they were just always stumbling and bumbling around. Even though they had God with them. But it wasn't until God was in them that things really changed. And you see the dramatic transformation in the disciples from, again, the time that they are with Jesus in the Gospels, and God is with them, and they're walking with God every day, and yet what a difference it made to have God the Holy Spirit literally in them. That made all the difference in the world. That totally took their walk with God and, and their life with God to a whole other level. And I think that that's why this series is so timely and relevant and so important, because I think that there are many Christians today that I, I genuinely think that they know God and they follow God like the disciples sort of did in the Gospels, but that their life, if they had to sort of characterize their life, their, their life would be more characterized by the way the disciples were in the Gospels. There's a lot of ups and downs, not a lot of consistency. There's a lot of stumbling and bumbling around, if you will. There's a lot of grasping, but not a lot of surety. There's a lot of failures more than victory. There's a lot of self-doubt and second-guessing and a lacking of confidence rather than the boldness and the courage and the confidence that you see in the disciples from the time they received the Holy Spirit. And so I think what God wants to do is he wants to show us 
Here's where all of us can go up to another level. When we learn about the Holy Spirit, the God who lives within us, and how we literally can tap into him, if you will, and connect on a deeper level with him so that we can take our Christian life from wherever it is now to even greater and higher heights. So won't you join me for the next six months or so as we explore the Holy Spirit in the Word of God. I want to begin in John's Gospel, and I want to begin in verse 29. And I want to just read this passage of Scripture that says, On the next day, John, speaking of John the Baptist here, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one about whom I said that after me comes a man who is greater than I am because he existed before me. I did not recognize him, but I came baptizing with water so that he could be revealed to Israel. Then John testified, I saw the Spirit descending like a dove from heaven, and it remained on him. And I did not recognize him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water said to me, the one on whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining, this is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. I have both seen and testified that this man is the chosen one of God. The first thing I want us to see is what John the Baptist saw. And that is that the Holy Spirit of God will bring clarity into our lives. Let's not forget that John the Baptist was physically related to Jesus. He knew Jesus on a human level. And yet he says it wasn't until the Spirit of God came down upon him as I was baptizing him that, that my mind began to sort of open up to who Jesus really was. Because you'll notice in that passage, he says twice, I did not recognize him. Now, the, the sort of the convolution here and the way this is all translated and related to us is early on, he says, look, this is the Lamb of God. But he didn't have that assurance of Jesus Christ, even though he was physically related to Jesus, he didn't have that assurance of who Jesus was until the Spirit came and gave him that clarity and that understanding. You see, the word recognize that John uses here and, and that John then, the, the Apostle John is writing about, speaking of John the Baptist, is a word that means to see to know, to be aware of, to fully appreciate. And John the Baptist is basically saying, until the Holy Spirit gave me clarity, I could not really see the things of God, I could not know the things of God, I could not become aware of the things of God, and I certainly couldn't fully appreciate the things of God, especially who Jesus really was. And the Holy Spirit, who lives within us, wants to give us that kind of clarity in our lives. So that instead of going around through life sort of groping 
And, and hopefully, like, guessing at where I'm supposed to be and who God is and what he wants from me and where, you know, his will will take me, that there's this absolute, clear, accurate clarity that the Holy Spirit can give. Not to demean him in any way because he is God. But you, you sort of get the picture here that when Christians even... And, and when people can truly sort of put on the Holy Spirit and receive him into their life, it's like having some kind of eye condition and going to the doctor and getting a new pair of glasses and putting them on going, oh my goodness, the things that I can see now that I couldn't see before or the things now that are, are crisp and, and much clearer to me now than before I had the aid of these glasses. That's what the Holy Spirit does for every human being that's willing to receive his ministry. You and I will see things that we could only see through his help. We will know things that only we could know through him. We will be aware of God and the things of God and what God wants to do only through connecting with the Holy Spirit. And we certainly cannot fully appreciate God and the things of God and the ways of God and the heart of God and what God is doing and how he's moving apart from our connection to the Holy Spirit. And so that's where the gospel even starts off. That's why the Holy Spirit must even be working on every human being even before we come to know Jesus as our Savior. Because he's got to begin to help us start to recognize who Jesus really is and have a clear understanding of Jesus and who he really is. And to have a clear understanding of our sinfulness before a holy God and our need for salvation and a Savior. All that is the work, the internal work of the Holy Spirit of God in our lives. I truly believe in the pre-salvational work of the Holy Spirit in every human being's life. In fact, John goes on to say that you and I cannot see spiritual realities apart from the Holy Spirit. In fact, Jesus even says this. Look over now in chapter 3, where Jesus is having a conversation with a very religious, spiritual person, if you will. His name is Nicodemus. And he is a spiritual leader in Israel. Here is someone who was brought up in the Old Testament scriptures. And if anyone knew the Old Testament scriptures, it would have been Nicodemus and the Pharisees. But what the Bible points out is that with all of his head knowledge, with all of his, his, his experience, if you will, in the religious world, with being around spiritual people and spiritual things all his life, he was still lost, far away from God, because... He was not able to see the spiritual realities that can only come through the aid and help of the Holy Spirit. So he's curious. He's what we would call today a seeker, someone who's searching. He knows something's missing in his life, but he doesn't really know what it is. And so he searches and seeks out Jesus for a one-on-one -on -one conversation. And notice we are, we are sort of privy to that conversation in the scriptures. John chapter 3, a certain man, a Pharisee named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council, came to Jesus at night, I think because he didn't want too many people to see who he was talking to. 
and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the miraculous signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus replied, I tell you the solemn truth, Nicodemus, unless a person is born from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God. The spirit, see, must open our eyes to spiritual realities, Jesus says. Then he goes on. Nicodemus then says to him, verse 4, how can a man be born when he is old? See, Nicodemus doesn't get it, does he? He cannot enter his mother's womb and be born a second time, can he? You see, Nicodemus' thoughts are all about the physical, temporal world. And when Jesus starts talking to him about being born from above, he doesn't understand the nature or, or uh, necessity of a spiritual birth, of, of a supernatural birth that's not physical. He's still thinking of things only in the physical realm. And the only way you and I as human beings like Nicodemus can cross over and start understanding spiritual things rather than always trying to judge and discern things through the physical material realm is through the aid of the Holy Spirit of God. And so Jesus answers and says, verse 5, I tell you a solemn truth. Unless a person is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. What all people need is a complete spiritual cleansing and renewal that can only come about through the Spirit. Jesus says in verse 6, what is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the Spirit is spirit. The Holy Spirit is the only one who can give spiritual life. So Jesus says in verse 7, do not be amazed that I say to you, you must absolute necessity all human beings must be born from above it has got to be a supernatural operation of God if you will on the inside of a human being that can only happen through the moving and ministry and means of his Holy Spirit that's why the Bible teaches us that our works can never save us it's by grace that we are saved, not of works, lest we boast. It's all the operation of God. So when human beings try to approach God or come into a relationship with God by their own merit, by somehow presenting their own self-righteousness to God or thinking that if I just do enough good works, Somehow God will weigh, you know, all my human works at the end of my life. And if my good works outweigh my bad works, maybe, just maybe, he'll let me into heaven and I'll have eternal life. And Jesus is even saying to this religious leader, it's not through religion. It's not through what you know. It's not through what you can present or what you can offer to God or what you can give or what you can do. It's simply by allowing God to perform spiritual surgery on your inside, if you will, and to change your heart and to give you spiritual life, which only comes through the Spirit of God. That's spiritual reality. Understanding all of that grasping that concept, comprehending all that, and then the willingness 
to volitionally say, God, that's what I want. That all comes through the ministry and work of the Holy Spirit of God. So we've seen how instrumental the Holy Spirit is in giving us clarity in our life. Being able to see and know and be aware of and fully appreciate the things of God and where we are with God and how we can be right with God and align ourselves with God. But there's something else I want us to see this morning about the Holy Spirit, and that's his sovereignty. Look at verse 8. Jesus also says to Nicodemus, the wind blows wherever it will, and you hear the sound it makes, but do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Three things that Jesus says there about the Spirit. One, we can't control the Spirit any more than you and I can control the wind. Because the Spirit of God is God. And you and I as human beings are not going to tell God how and what to do things or the way to do it. God will be God. It's not up to God to line up with us. It's up to us to line up with God. And so part of the rub of the Holy Spirit and why more people don't sort of connect with him on a deeper level and turn their lives over to him is because when we do, we've got to let go of the control. We've got to allow him to be the driver, if you will, and we've got to become the passenger. And so many Christians even struggle with letting go and letting the Holy Spirit have control of their life because I want to keep control, God. And Jesus is saying, any more than we can control the wind, we can't control the Holy Spirit. And that's even true about this series. One of the things I had to settle on, if you will, was like, I don't know where this is going. I don't know how God's going to use it, but I can't control him. And nor do I want to control him. We should all want to let God be God. Let him have us and take us where he will, rather than us trying to be in control. There's something else here, though. Not only do we not control the Holy Spirit, but we're not always going to understand the moving of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says there, you not only can't control the Holy Spirit, but you do not know always where it's coming from and where it's going, just like the wind. Again, that's something maybe hard for us because we always want to be able to understand what God is doing. And sometimes God just wants us to trust him and say, God, I don't understand what you're doing or I don't understand your ways. But God, just like the wind, I, all, I can't always understand it either. But here's the other thing Jesus is saying. But we will always see the evidence and effects of the moving of the Spirit, just as we do the wind. I can't control the wind, nor do I always understand the moving of the wind, but I always see the effects and evidence that the wind was there. And Jesus is saying the same thing about those who are allowing the Spirit of God to work and move in our lives. There will be evidence and there will be effects upon us as people who are turning our lives over to the Holy Spirit and coming to a deeper connection of God 
through his spirit. He will give us clarity, and he is also sovereign. Something else I want us to see this morning about the Spirit. Look at verse 34 of chapter 3. John the Baptist here is talking to some people who are questioning him about Jesus and, and his ways. But I want to get to the Spirit this morning, so I want to take you down to verse 34. John 3, 34. Where John the Baptist says, For the one whom God has sent... Speaking of Jesus here, speaks the word of God or the words of God. For he does not give the spirit sparingly. John the Baptist is testifying to the fact that when the spirit of God came like a dove and landed on Jesus at his baptism, the Bible specifically says back in John chapter 1 that the spirit remained on him. And that's emphasized in the text. Why is that important? Well, because throughout Jesus's earthly life, he leaned upon the Holy Spirit. He allowed, even though he was God too, he allowed the Holy Spirit to lead him, guide him, and direct him. Why did he do that? Jesus obviously was perfectly, you know, capable of leading himself because he wanted to lay, leave us an example of what a human being, and Jesus was also 100% human, what they would look like if they allowed the Spirit of God to direct and lead them and guide them at all times. And then John goes on to say, the Apostle John, back in chapter 1, this same Jesus that the Spirit came and gave me clarity about is one who will eventually baptize all of you with his Holy Spirit. All who believe in him, all who follow him, all who trust in him, all who place their hope and confidence in him will be baptized with his Holy Spirit. And let's not forget the word baptized means to immerse. In other words, John is saying, <clears throat> Jesus isn't just going to dip us in the Spirit. Jesus is going to immerse us in his Spirit. It's a word that speaks about an outpouring. Think of yourself under a waterfall. And you're just being inundated, drenched with this water. That's what God wants to do to every human being who comes in contact with him. He wants to pour out his Holy Spirit on us. And then John in, in verse, chapter 3, verse 34, sort of ties that together when he says, and when God gives his spirit, just as he did to Jesus, he will never give it sparingly. The word means in limited measure. In other words, the measure of the Spirit that you and I get is absolutely adequate. It is enough. He, the Spirit, is enough. And so I want you to see this morning also in John 3, 34, the sufficiency of the Holy Spirit. Not just the sovereignty of the Spirit. Not just the fact that the Holy Spirit can bring clarity into our lives. I want you to see the sufficiency of the Holy Spirit. If you're here today and you have been born from above, you have been born again, you've had a supernatural birth, a spiritual birth through the Holy Spirit, then my friend, you have been given the whole Holy Spirit. 
And why I say that's important is so many Christians go through their life feeling inadequate, feeling like they're lacking something, feeling like they're deficient, like somehow I got saved, I know the Lord is my Savior, I know my sins are forgiven, I know where I'm going to go when I die, and I know in my head that God has given me his Holy Spirit, but somehow I just go through life feeling so lacking, deficient, and all of that. Incapable of meeting life's demands, always feeling like I've got to keep looking for something else because what God has given me so far is not sufficient. And the Word of God is telling us about the Spirit that part of the reason why He gave the Holy Spirit into our being is so we would carry God with us every day and we would never have to feel deficient in any way. That with the Spirit of God, God Himself in us every day, that there is nothing that you and I can't deal with or overcome. No circumstance we can't rise above. If we learn to tap into the God who's not only with us, but to the God who is in us. Every day we wake up with God in us. Every day we go to sleep with God in us. Every day we live with God in us. Literally, we carry him everywhere we go. And he is enough. He is sufficient. We just have to receive what we already have instead of keep looking for what we don't have. Understand what we already have through the Holy Spirit. Well, with that said, please go with me to John chapter 4 where I want to show you the refreshment that the Holy Spirit brings. Jesus here, and I'm going to begin reading actually in verse 13. Jesus here is sitting down now and having a one-on-one, -on -one, not with Nicodemus, a religious leader, but with a very struggling woman, a woman of Samaria who's really had a hard life and made a lot of bad choices in her life. And she's not just coming to this well at this time because she's physically thirsty. She's coming to this well because she's spiritually thirsty. And she runs into Jesus. And they start to have a conversation, but I want to break into the conversation in verse 13, where Jesus replied to her as they're sitting there by this physical well, everyone who drinks some of the water will be thirsty again if you're drinking from this physical well. But whoever drinks some of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. And this water that I will give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up to eternal life. And I love the response of the woman. Sir, give me that kind of water. You see, the water that Jesus is talking about is this source of spiritual refreshment that will completely fulfill and completely satisfy. Jesus is simply saying, you understand that you can 
go out there into the world and you can search and seek and try to grasp all these different things that's going to satisfy the deepest thirst within you as a human being, that's going to bring absolute fulfillment and satisfaction to you. But Jesus says, you will always leave thirsty again. You will never come to a place where by those other things you can be fulfilled and satisfied. But if you will receive this spiritual nourishment that comes through my spirit, which is, I think, what he's referring to when he refers to this water within us, then Jesus says, you can be refreshed continually and you can come to a place where you're never thirsty again where you find a fulfillment and satisfaction outside of yourselves and beyond yourself and beyond this world that is literally otherworldly because again, just like being born from above, this nourishment comes from above. And I believe he's speaking about the Holy Spirit. You say, Jeff, how do you know that the water that Jesus is speaking about here in John 4 refers to the Holy Spirit? I'm going to show you. Turn with me to John chapter 7 for just a moment. And look at verses 37 through 39. Jesus here is at a feast, a feast that sort of centered on water. And on the last day of the feast, the greatest day, Jesus stood up and shouted out, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and let the one who believes in me drink. Just as the scriptures says, from within him will flow rivers of living water. And don't miss these next few words then at the beginning of verse 39. Now he said this about the spirit. The water that Jesus is referring to this source of spiritual refreshment that will completely fulfill and completely satisfy is the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And Jesus says he is literally this fountain of water that will continually refresh and fulfill and satisfy us throughout our lives. And we'll never have to be thirsty again if we learn to walk in the Spirit and be filled in the Spirit and to connect with the Spirit and understand the Spirit instead of just somehow going, uh, I, I don't get the Spirit. I'm just going to sort of keep him out here. We deprive ourselves of the refreshment and the fulfillment and the satisfaction that only comes through us yielding to the Spirit of God who lives within us like this fountain of living water that Jesus talks about. Oh, that all of us would come to a place in our lives like the woman who recognizes her need of that kind of water and says, Sir, give me that water. I want to drink from that well. One other passage I'd like to take us to this morning. I'd like you to go back to the Old Testament book of Isaiah. To Isaiah chapter 43. 
And we're going to pick it up in John chapter 4 next week as we continue our series. In Isaiah 43, verses 19 through 21, when God was moving by His Holy Spirit in my life and getting me to a place where I would surrender to His will and start this church, now, come April, eight years ago. One of the other things that God was doing in my life through the Holy Spirit at that time was leading me to this passage of Scripture because I said, okay, Lord, I'm, I'm willing to start this church. What should we name it? And God led me to this passage of Scripture in Isaiah 43, verses 19 through 21. In fact, when people ask me, why is the church named the Oasis? This is where I take them. Because God was showing me that that's really what he wanted to do even with our church. That our church would be an oasis just like he's describing here to his people in Isaiah 43. Look at what the prophet Isaiah said from the mouth of God. God said in verse 43, chapter 43, verse 19. Look, I'm about to do something new. Can I tell you? That's exactly what God is saying to all of us here at the Oasis. And folks, it has nothing to do with those wonderful buildings and facilities that are going up over there. That's awesome. And I praise God for that. But what God wants to do is more than just a physical thing. God wants to do a spiritual thing with his people. And he says, now it begins to happen. Do you not recognize it? Are you not seeing it? Are you not aware of it? Are you not fully appreciating it? Yes, I will make a road in the desert and paths in the wilderness. The wild animals of the desert honor me. The jackals and ostriches because I put water in the desert and streams in the wilderness. What is that? What's he describing? An oasis. Isn't that what it is when you put water in the middle of a dry place, a parched place of a desert? We call it an oasis. And one of the things that God is saying through the prophet Isaiah is this. He says, if I can put water in a desert, then is there anything too hard or difficult for me? If I can put water in the most unlikely place and you can find water in the place where you would least expect it, then what else can I not do? And then he says this. Why am I doing this? Why am I putting an oasis in the desert? Because I, God, want to quench the thirst of my chosen people. The people whom I formed for myself, so they might praise me. Why does God create oases in our lives? Why does God give us his Holy Spirit, this fountain of living water, this source of spiritual refreshment that completely fulfills and satisfies us? Why does he bring people into our lives that are refreshing like an oasis? Why does he lead us to passages of Scripture that are so refreshing and renewing? 
In fact, even the psalmist says, and maybe the most famous psalm and even passage of Scripture in the Bible, Psalm 23, He leads me to green pastures. He leads me to those refreshing waters. He restores my soul. My cup is running over, the psalmist says, because I'm just letting His Spirit lead me to that place of refreshment because I'm thirsty I'm dying out here. I'm parched. I'm spiritually and physically and emotionally dehydrated. And I'm dying. I need what only God can give me. And folks, I believe from day one that we started this church that God wanted us to be a part of that answer here in this community. Because what I heard up to that point, even before I started the church, was this over and over again from Christians, not from people that didn't know God, but from followers of God. I'm thirsty. I'm thirsty. I know God. I have a relationship with God, but I'm thirsty. I'm not getting refreshed. I'm not having my thirst quenched. I need some place where I can go and where I can be refreshed and where my thirst for God can be quenched. And I believe that that's our goal as a church. That through the worship of God and through the Word of God, we will provide a place where those that want to have their thirst quenched, we will at least provide one of the places in this valley where people can come and get their thirst quenched. Just like the woman, sir, give me this water. But don't miss this. And this is very appropriate that we end here. Notice what God continued to say through the prophet Isaiah. I want to quench the thirst of my people, the people that I formed for myself, so that they might what? Praise me. The word speaks about singing out publicly, praising God, elevating him, magnifying him, lifting him up. Why? Why does God call his people to come together corporately and publicly and sing out praises to him and worship him? Because he wants his people to do that so that those that may be in their midst and even those that may be looking in and all of that may go, here's a group of people and they're not thirsty anymore. Their thirst is being quenched. Who's quenching it? And through our praise, we can point them to the one who's quenching our thirst. It's through our praise that we elevate and magnify and lift up God and say, God, it's because of you that I'm not thirsty any longer. So this morning, I invite all of us as a church and as individuals to come and drink from the fountain of God, to drink in the Holy Spirit of God and say, God, I'm tired of being thirsty. There's no reason for me to be thirsty, especially if you're a Christian. There's no reason to feel unfulfilled and unsatisfied and unnourished anymore. God has provided you His Spirit who lives within you. And He is our source of continual refreshment and fulfillment and satisfaction. 
Don't stay thirsty anymore. Come and be quenched by God through his spirit. And as God is quenching our thirst, oh, let us praise him.